What's up, my friends? Welcome to Christian Podcast. You guys know me. Welcome to Christian Podcast Live. I'm Beto Gudinho, and I bring you top God thinkers to explore Christianity and culture through the lens of emoji reactions that range from blasphemous to divine. So the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month here in the United States. So we are going to be having a series of episodes focused on precisely that. So what is mental health? Should we care for ourselves? And how do we do that? So today we have Heather Dave Diuk Gingrich on the show to help us navigate this water. So let's go over to Heather and welcome her on the show. Heather, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And, and good on the pronunciation of my name. Woo! I did it. I did it. I knew you I knew my I knew my hard um Spanish accent was going to pay off one day. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh Heather, welcome to the show. Would you mind telling us a little bit of who you are and what you do to introduce yourself to the audience? Okay, I have been I'm a counselor uh but for the past few decades I've been a counselor educator. So I teach in master's and doctoral programs in counseling. For the past 17 years, I have been teaching at Denver Seminary, and I will actually be moving in to Georgia in July, and we'll be teaching in the grad program at Tacoa Falls College, where I'll be developing and teaching a five-course, 15-credit trauma certificate. Um, so that's pretty exciting, because I get to do most of my work right in my area of specialization. Um, I do want to add to that I'm Canadian. That's kind of important to me, even though we've been living in the U.S. for a long time and uh, we're missionaries in the Philippines for eight years before that. But I am a proud Canadian. Wow. There you go. Hey, I, I am a proud Mexican. So there we go. The, you know, the person from the north and the person from the south of the United States. <laughs> but Beto, it's A, not hey. Oh, A. It's going to be Canadian. Okay. A. Yeah. Uh, again, it's my Mexican <laughs> coming out. My Mexican coming out. <laughs> well, this is going to be so good. Thank you, Heather, again for being on the show. And, um, you know, I mean, success on your on your new adventures as you move to Georgia and all of that. That's going to be amazing. And I'm so glad and, and happy for you. So I have your book right here in my hands. And it's called Restoring the Shattered Self. This is the second edition. So... Yay for that, because it has new information, right? And a new of the terms yes. have changed. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to react with an emoji to the book. Are you ready for that? <laughs> I hope it's good. Okay, let's find out. Here we go. Okay, we're going to the emoji tombola. But for that, I got to make sure the emoji tombola is in place. Seems like it's in place. So let's play the music. And go to the emoji tombola. Reveal the emoji that we're gonna have today. It's a holy emoji reaction. Okay, so Heather, how do you feel about getting a holy emoji reaction for restoring the shattered self? 
Well, I feel good about that. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, trauma is a difficult topic, but it is a holy one in terms of God's ability to heal. And so that makes that emoji, I think, appropriate. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. Are you happy you're not like in a blasphemy? Well, well, I didn't tell you the name. So blasphemous, skeptical, inspired, holy, and divine. So those are the five emojis. So, and it doesn't mean that, you know, it's from the lowest to the highest. It's just like a realm of belief that I feel like, okay, you know, emoji reactions help. And I feel like when I think of mental health, when I think of our brains, when I think of relationships, when I think of psychology, I think there's, there's some holy ground involved in that. You know, when I think of holy, I think of the, of like other And I think of, especially I think in terms of relationships, I'm thinking like, okay, this is all about relationships and it's it's like sacred ground in a sense. So therefore I go with the holy emoji. But Heather, would That you- That makes uh, sense. Yeah, thank you. So would you just let's just uh, start it off with, um, what is mental health? Because I think in the past few years, you know, as I was, I mean, I'm 40, almost 41. But as I was growing up, I don't remember like hearing this phrase like mental health. I remember other phrases, psychology and whatnot. And even as I was reading your book, I mean, a lot of the terms have evolved or changed. So what is mental health today? Well, that's a big question. Um, in, in some ways, maybe the easiest thing to do is to contrast it with mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so kind of think of physical health and physical illness, y you know, uh, we're probably never totally physically healthy. You know, we'll always have kind of some ache or pain, something that's not, not perfect, but there can be times when we are pretty much, you know, healthy, you'd say. And it's the same thing with mental health. It doesn't mean that, that people don't have any struggles in life, but that they're going th through life, day-to-day -day life without a lot of distress, or, or even if there are distressing days that they can bounce back Uh, pretty quickly. That's kind of the concept of resilience. So having good mental health doesn't mean that we're never anxious, that we're never depressed, that we never struggle with things, but that, it, but it's more in the sense that, that, that those things aren't overwhelming to us and that we can function pretty well, be on a pretty even keel, or even if we have some very difficult times that, that we can get back kind of to uh, a high, you know, decent functioning normal. Does that make sense? Yes, I think that makes sense. And so I would say, I mean, I think what I'm getting is it's almost like a, a functional human, right? And for functioning yeah. correctly, you need you need like your brain capacity. I don't know if at a hundred percent, but at, to, to some percent that it, it helps you, you know, be in relationship with the rest of the world, pretty much something along those lines. But, you know, there are people that can function very well in terms of at their jobs. You know, they can appear mm. to function well, oh. but are in so much distress inside. So that's the other aspect of it. You know, part of it is functioning, but part of it is at what cost do you function? Mm. You know, are you severely depressed? You manage to get out of bed. You manage to do your work. You kind of put a smile on your face when you can, but you... But then as soon as you get home, you just kind of crash and, and um, you know, are really 
are really living in distress. So I think that there are people who, those around them, if they're not honest about what's going on, may not even realize that someone's not doing well. So there, so there is, well, and other people do not function well. I mean, they can't get out of bed in the morning. They're so, so depressed or it's, they're so anxious. It's obvious to other people around. Um, but those two components, it can be either or, or both difficulty functioning and internal distress, and relational distress. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. So distress in relationships, that's wow. Okay, so I have, I mean, you have a lot of examples in the book, and I feel like I have a lot of examples in, in my own journey, in, in my own life, and, you know, friends, uh, family members who have, you know, dealt with depression, even like this this term, like chronic depression, some some family yeah. in Mexico, and, um, you know, some friends here in, in the United States that just recently, you know, they just went through, I don't even want to say it, you know, because I feel like it, it's so heavy, you know, but... um. I guess in the light of of this episode and what we're gonna talk about and and I think my calling also as a no because you do a lot of counseling so um, I have a friend whose wife um, just committed suicide okay so yeah. super heavy uh, yeah. it's it's very recent but at the same time you know this person has been reaching out to me a little bit and and you know knowing that I'm a Christian that I'm a believer that I follow God you know he's been trying to get a little bit of Uh, hope for me, I would say, right? Mm -hmm. And and when I found your book, I'm like, okay, I need some of this because I, I don't even know what to say, right? And I don't even know, like I was reading it, I don't even know if necessarily like scripture is going to do anything or the way I, I bring scripture to him. You know, I know scripture is powerful and I know God is powerful, yes. right? But uh, sometimes, I mean, all I've been doing is listening so far, right? And hey, that that's the very best thing you could do Uh, honestly, because as you said, we know that scripture is true and scripture is powerful, but when someone is really, really struggling inside, um, hearing a scripture verse can sound as though we're trying to give them simplistic answers. And we know that ultimately it isn't simplistic. God's truth is real, but, but people have to be at a point where they're, they're, they're ready to listen. Um, and willing to take that in. even Christians, you know, when you're going through a really hard time, the best thing to do is to listen first, listen, understand, um, be compassionate, be empathic, just, just try to understand what they're going through and be with them. I think if you do that first, then later on, um, you know, verses of scripture could be really helpful and appropriate praying with someone could be very helpful and appropriate. And of course it depends on your relationship with the person and depends, you know, where, where they are. But I think the, the bottom line is in listening really well. I mean, Jesus did that wonderfully. He walked with people and listened, you know, and looked at where they were coming from. And, and then he entered their lives in, in some other ways at times. So, so good for you, Beto. I think that's exactly what your friend needs from you at this point in time. Okay. Well, thank you, Heather. So one, one of the questions, I mean, before we even dig a little deeper into how to counsel is why is this happening? I mean, is this new or is this just like the society we're living in that it's, it's, I mean, to me, it, it almost seems like we are, we have been pushed to the extremes as humans with, 
<clears throat> almost like with our capabilities, right? And there's uh, like, for example, on YouTube where you know, we're at right now <clears throat> live, there's these things called like I am affirmations that people that are trying to pursue like a successful life are almost like trying to to get into like this um, it, almost like a programmatic state of mind because the pressures of the world are just so heavy that they they almost like need to say I am this I am that but I also find it that it, it almost like evades like encountering the situations like in a in a I would say in a healthier way because um, you're just almost like just programming your mind but can you elaborate a little bit on like maybe why are we in this state of um, humanity where people are feeling so anxious so depressed so uh, well no suicidal thoughts all around is, is this newer or no what's your vantage point well i mean hardship and pain have been around since since the the garden of eden um and sin entered the world right if you you read through the bible even in the old testament people went through awful things i mean there was uh, abuse there was hurt and pain there there's relationship um, dysfunction. So in one sense, what we're experiencing now isn't all that new because pain has been part of the human condition. On the other hand, things like suicide rate and youth mental illness statistics are showing are sky, skyrocketing. And I think some of the things you mentioned, such as um, social media, while social media can be great, it also means we have a comparison with other people. And of course, people choose what they post about themselves. And fewer people post that they're struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts than post everything good that's going on, right? So there's a, a kind of image management that, that ends up being problematic, I think, at times, both, both for the individual because... You want to appear a certain way. If you're not actually doing that well, then there can be a lot of guilt and shame with that. Then you're comparing yourself to other people and you're not thinking when you're on social media, oh, they're just putting their best face forward. You're kind of assuming this is their life. And then just the availability of the internet, um, you know, we're, we're much more in touch with what's happening around the world, you know, the horrific mm kinds of stories, anything that's happening anywhere, we know about now. And in the past, it took a lot longer to learn about those things. Um, or, or they weren't as vivid, you know, that we're not seeing real time people suffering and struggling and war, war being, you know, actually seeing the devastation and hearing people talk. You know, a newspaper report is so much um, more removed you know, back decades ago. Um, so I think all of those things in, increase the, the level of, of stress and even trauma because, because trauma can be experienced even by witnessing something horrific. It doesn't even have to necessarily be happening to you. And we can witness all kinds of horrible things on the internet and on the news and um, through people's posts. So. So on the one hand, yes, I think that that and COVID, of course, um, has not helped mental health issues 
at all that, you know, there's so many different impacts of COVID. Uh, but in general, I think that people are under a lot of, of stress. On the other hand, you know, when people in olden days were just struggling to get food to eat as they are in many developing countries now, that wasn't a picnic either. You know, uh, the, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were mistreated, beaten, didn't, you know, they, they had it rough too. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's not new, but it has elements that are kind of like making it, uh, bigger or more, maybe having a bigger impact because of like what you're saying, right? Like social media and the, the, like the news travel faster and that create like quicker mental pictures. Right? Yeah. And maybe, uh, bigger, yeah, maybe, maybe broader too, mm. you know, that we're just so much more exposed to not just our, our own little section of life in the world, but, but globally are exposed to so much more. So I think that has an impact too, to kind of see a witness that the suffering at a much larger and a larger way, a broader way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I agree. There's there's almost like this sentiment nowadays that, yes, we are citizens, we're Canadian, we are Mexican, we're American, but there's also, I think, the especially the newer generation, almost like a sense of like, I'm a global citizen, right? Like, I know what's happening yes. around the world. And, and but anyway, so when, when I think of traumatic experiences, I think I was reading in the book that um, some of the terminology in psychology comes from people experiencing war, right? World War II, Vietnam, and like all these wars, and then coming back to uh, especially the U.S., and then you have some studies also in Philippines. But uh, people coming back with traumatic events in their lives, right? And there's this term right. called uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, but now they're adding a C to the post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so can you, can you elaborate a little bit on how this has shifted and what does sure. post-traumatic stress disorder apply to? Because I think no, it no longer applies only to people who have experienced war. It can apply to so many, no. other, right? No, I think that um, war vets are where research was first done when when soldiers were coming back from from war zones, they used to call it shell shock, um, and and realized that there were problems. They were having nightmares, having flashbacks, um, startle responses, uh, you know, all kinds of de depression, uh, all kinds of things were were happening. And so that started research on well, what's going on here? And so PTSD or post traumatic stress disorder then became a diagnosis, um, especially after uh, Vietnam War vets came back. That was a kind of started in World War One and II, them recognizing that something wasn't normal here, that there was, that that war was having an effect. And then with Vietnam War vets, it really, the, the research really ramped up. But, um, but there's been a recognition that, you know, PTSD can be diagnosed even with a single traumatic event. So a natural disaster, for example, uh, whether that's a flood or a tornado or a tsunami or, or, you know, one incident, maybe a traumatic car accident where 
where you witness someone dying. Uh, so those can all be parts of PTSD, that even one incident it is enough to potentially develop some pretty severe symptoms. But then there's a recognition that there are other kinds of trauma. And now we call, call this complex PTSD because it is more complex. And generally, this is trauma that's relational in nature. It's often due to child abuse, which um, all kinds of abuse, whether that's physical, emotional, verbal, sexual, spiritual, or um, neglect um, can also can also fall under under that category. And that kind of trauma or, or neglect is often um, long term is chronic. Sometimes kids are are abused for years, sometimes their entire child childhood. And so when you think about that, it makes sense that it's going to sh- look a little different than someone who has been, you know, their their home's been destroyed by a fire mm. and and maybe their their pet died or or maybe even someone they love, you know, died in that fire. That that can be really traumatic. But then you compare that to hundreds, if not thousands, of incidents potentially of abuse. And then you look at the fact that when that happens in childhood, it isn't just a trauma, but it impacts normal development. It impacts how children learn to relate to each other, it learn it to other people, it impacts how they what they do with their emotions, how they learn to regulate their own emotions and behavior. So they're so they may, they usually do still have PTSD symptoms, but there's so much more that's also been damaged as a result of that kind of abuse. And it's um, unfortunately in the kind of official diagnostic system uh, that psychologists and psychiatrists, mental health professionals use, complex PTSD is still not an official diagnosis, uh, which is unfortunate because how you get healing is is different. Treatment methodologies are different, um, but it is increasingly recognized as a as a very real disorder that is is has its distinctives from regular PTSD. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So complex post traumatic stress disorder. So I was thinking. That, I mean, your book is called Restoring the Shattered Selves, um, and I, I feel like there's almost like a snowball effect. When it comes to, when it comes to brokenness in relationships, right? Because I, I mean, a kid that experiences the brokenness as a kid, it's probably more likely to, no, like become maybe some somewhat of a perpetrator in the future, right? Because of those experiences or traumas, and it's almost like a snowball effect. Like when when do you stop that? Like how does, how can that even, um, yeah, be detained? And, and you're right that certainly not all um, survivors of of abuse of complex trauma end up being perpetrators themselves, but some some do. You know, if you think even about uh, physical uh, abuse, well, often physical abuse kind of starts off as discipline. You know, so kids kind of learn well. This is how you raise your kids. This is how you this is how you discipline them. And then when they have their own kids, they don't want to hurt them, but they haven't really been taught other, other ways of, of disciplining them. Mm -hmm. So, 
that can go go on. Or, uh, you know, if sexual abuse happens in a home, uh, an interesting kind of sad statistic, though, is that uh, a brother of, say, his sister who's being sexually abused, say, by the father, is more likely to end up perpetrating sexual abuse himself when he gets older, even if he was not the object of abuse, but there's something about, or even if he didn't necessarily totally know what was going on, but there's something about the dynamics, I guess, in the family, the secrets that are there, the fact that no one's talking about that there's something very wrong going on here that, that we can only kind of surmise because we don't know for sure what the factors are that create that, but those are kind of the best educated guesses is that that environment is one that can, can create an adult male, you know, or a teenage guy who kind of somehow picks up that this is the way you treat women. This is the way you treat children, you know? Wow. Uh, But the good news, because my book does say restoring (laughs) that there can be restoration. And that is the exciting part is that those cycles can be broken instead of generations of trauma being passed along, which are the negative, you know, ripple effects. um, The positive ripple effects are someone gets healing, then, then they're different in their relationships. Their marriages are better. The way they relate to their children is better um, that they can teach their children healthy ways of interacting um, with the world of becoming healthy themselves, emotionally and psychologically. So that's the, that's the exciting part is that restoration really can happen. I love that. I love the restoration piece. And I'll give you a little testimony example of that because I I said we are from Mexico and in Mexico, I don't know how many people tuning in right now. They know this if they're Mexican to some extent, they have been traumatized by the chancla, which is the sandal, right? We say the chancla. And like you said, it's the method that we use for discipline, right? Okay. And every, it's almost like every kid in Mexico experiences that because it's the option, right? It's, this is how I discipline right. my kids. And we as a family, we have been learning other methods. You know, we've been uh, reading books, researching, finding people that have been helping us Uh, discipline our kids in a different way that doesn't involve almost like that violence, you know? And sometimes, I mean, it, we can even like almost utilize this in a, in, in a, I don't know, it, like we look back at it and it's kind of funny and it's kind of helpful, but at the same time is we can totally see like the ramifications that have been traumatizing uh, by using this method of disciplining our kids. Right. So, I love that restoring part because I think this is the part where we get to, yeah, be participants in in resolving these conflicts and creating, I would say, like stopping the snowball effect and creating almost yes. like a better, a better society, a better humanity altogether. So before we move on into a little bit of, of those elements of like counseling and, uh, uh, yeah, I would say like the restoring pieces from your vantage point like what is the worst i mean i'm i'm sure maybe like suicide is like the worst option somebody can experience out of like a traumatic experience but what is uh, 
from your vantage point, like um, almost like the the stage four of cancer. What is the equivalent mm -hmm. in like psychology, um, as as far as you know? Gosh. Well, I mean, there are so many different, you know, mental psychological disorders that that can be the results of trauma. And, and often that isn't even recognized, honestly. You know, in the DSM, when they have all these different disorders, you know, food and eating disorders, psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, personality disorders, uh, you know, major depressive disorder, anxiety disorders, um, any of those things can potentially be the result of, of, of trauma. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the ways that trauma can really impact people is, you know, I have the word shattered in my book, restoring the shattered self, because I think that internal shattering can, can mean a number of different things. It can mean fragmentation of the self, you know, so kind of think about it as there being like inner hurting little kids that just, um, and I'm not talking about a dissociative disorder, like um, what used to be called multiple personality disorder, although that can be very real. And that kind of shattering means that the abuse was so extreme at such a young age before the age of six, you know, when a child is very young, that the only way they could cope is by actually, you know, kind of cutting off fragments of themselves to deal with the trauma that they just didn't have the capacity to deal with. So that's kind of an extreme mm -hmm. fragmentation, but I think lots of other people fragment um, too, that, that, that it's like there are little um, wounded kids that, that are just kind of paralyzed inside there that, that kind of leak out from time to time in emotional reactions or fear coming up or anxiety, if there's a, a something that reminds them of the trauma. And, you know, you can think of that. One of the things I ask people, say they've been, um, had a panic attack or they've been extremely anxious and they have no idea why they were, it was so extreme. You, you know, they're like, I, I know it. it's like an overreaction. And sometimes I ask them, well, how old did you feel at the time? And that always really surprises them. Like, what? How old did I feel? But then they're like, well, now that you asked the question, I actually felt like young. So, well, like about how young? Well, I don't know exactly, but, you know, elementary school age, you know, maybe like eight or nine. And so then that starts to, shed some light on things, right? It's like, okay, that was not really an adult reaction. That was really a terrified child's reaction to something in day-to-day -day life now that maybe isn't even a big deal now, but somehow was a reminder of that, of that trauma. So I think, um, I think one of the harder things is when people are actually responding to trauma triggers, but they don't even know it because Sometimes people don't even remember if, if they have been victims of child abuse, they don't always even remember that they've been abused or else they've really minimized 
minimized it. Okay, I've gone on from from there, but don't really realize that in their day to day life, they're still being triggered, or that there's still impacts um, from that. So I, I think those are, I, I don't know if those are the worst beto, but they're maybe the most common kinds of reactions that people just end up struggling with all kinds of stuff, like either whether it's depression or some people feel a lot of shame and they don't really know why, or their self-esteem is so low, you know, and they can get all the positive feedback. They can strive for excellence and still feel like they're the scum of the earth, you know, and, and reassurance doesn't help. And I think that some of those things come from childhood. If, uh, if a child has been maltreated, it's like a belief that is, is just kind of a, a lie that, that gets into the core of their being that is really, really difficult, even with God's love. You know, I think ultimately, you know, I've seen God heal that, but just, you know, scripture verses about God loves me or I'm important um, just kind of bounce off um, if there's that really deep lie that's been believed and was embedded, you know, in early childhood and helped along by parents that are yelling and screaming and telling someone that they're worthless, that they're no good, they shouldn't have been born. You know, because kids hear that kind of thing. Um, parents don't always mean it. Maybe they say that in a fit of anger. Some parents do mean it, you know, they didn't want these kids and they make sure they know it. Wow. Some of that, you know, emotional trauma honestly is is worse than some of the physical and even sexual trauma because it gets to the core of what you believe about yourself although the others do too sexual trauma definitely does that as well so i don't know if that answers your question it's just kind of bad all the way around yes i mean that's exactly the point of the question like there's bad and i i agree i mean it's almost like that's why the world is chaotic and even if we i mean because this is kind of where i want to go too if we would involve a little bit of the concepts that we have as Christians, it's okay. Why do you expect from a sinful world other than you know, sin shattered and breaking people? But I feel like this is also where it can get a little bit tricky because you have, for example, the, the example of Haley, where people were thinking that this person who was experiencing some traumatic, um, well, experienced some traumatic events and then was triggered by whatever was happening, right? And then people like saying, okay, we, we got to pray over you and cast out like these demons and and it, it ended up like hurting her more. Yes. But these people were doing it with good intentions. And I think that's exactly the, you know, a little bit of where I want to gear the conversation towards mm. um, because the I feel like we have a right, uh, the right attitude to say we want to help. Right. And I have examples just like the one you mentioned. Like I have one example of um, a friend of us. We were in this event and then all of a sudden, we don't know if maybe for there were like lights glitching and stuff. He started having a seizure and, you know, like foam was coming out of his mouth and he was not completely conscious, but he was like saying things. And this other woman came and she's saying, oh, you know, he's demon possessed. And we're like, what? What? No, he's he's a believer. He's a follower of Christ. And I mean, it just caused like almost like this controversy like what's going on uh then we went you know i helped him go to the the doctors like the neurologist 
and then we're trying to figure out what happened and the best they could say is like we we don't really know i mean we know it's in the brain we know like there's almost like wires that are in the brain and maybe it's like almost like they disconnect and things happen but they couldn't also say it's not demonic even though they they wouldn't agree with like oh yeah that was demonic but they could also not say okay no, that's not what happened you know they're just like we we don't really know right the brain is it's right. uh, it's it's uh we're still exploring what how the brain works that we cannot say okay this happened to this but i guess as a christian uh i guess the, the first question would be how do we find a good therapist like if somebody says i need help what would be like the first steps we need to take to find okay this is how you're going to find good therapist that's not going to you know, mess you up more and it's actually going to help you you know and that is hard because not all therapists are alike you know just because someone's licensed um doesn't necessarily mean that they're good it's like any job right look at mm -hmm. any of the work you do You can look around you, you know who's good at their job and who isn't. And there are some people you wonder, how did they even get hired, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it's the same thing with counselors. I mean, there, there are good construction workers, there are lousy ones. I know that my my brother-in-law, you know, built, built houses on his own and has construction company and he'd just shake his head. You know, when people are looking for a builder, they don't even know what questions to ask. So I think looking for a therapist is kind of like that, mm. you know, you You want someone good, um, but but how do you know? Well, I mean, one thing is to ask around who has had a good experience with someone. Um, if if someone's a Christian, wants a Christian therapist, asking a pastor if they've made referrals, you know, and, and gotten good feedback from someone. And I think it depends on um, you need to find someone who specializes in in the kinds of things that you're struggling with. So if you're struggling in your marriage, it's not necessarily trauma, then go to someone who specializes in marriage therapy. Mm. Um, don't go to a generalist um, because there are people who just specialize or do a lot of that. With trauma, you want to see someone who specializes in trauma, but it depends on the kind of trauma. So, um, So I would ask, I would ask someone, so tell me um, what kind of, how do you approach trauma? What kind of treatment do you do? Or what kind of background do you have? Now, if someone has PTSD, they're not a survivor uh, of abuse, but they've had a traumatic event happening. Then someone who says, I treat PTSD, you know, I treat vets, I treat um, other people who've been traumatized. Um, you know, they mentioned things like, um, prolonged exposure therapy or EMDR. Uh, if someone practices e EMDR, I'd want to ask a little bit more and say, well, what, el what else do you do besides EMDR? Because I think EMDR is um, a great treatment approach, but it's best used within an overall kind of theory of trauma, not just something on its own. Um, and But if someone is a complex trauma survivor, I would ask specifically, um, do you treat complex PTSD? And if someone doesn't seem to know what that is and says, well, I treat PTSD, then a little red flag would go up and kind of go, well, I know that um, 
how do you treat complex PTSD differently than you treat PTSD? You know, I mean, so even if, if your, your um, viewer doesn't even really know what answer to expect, they, sh they should be able to hear an answer. You know, the, the therapist should be able to talk about the difference. And if they can't, then find somebody else. <laughs> mm. wow. um, uh, so I, I guess one of the keys for someone with complex PTSD is a phased treatment approach. That is the standard of care. Um, so mm. in my book, I talk about three phases and three phases kind of it. Sometimes people label them a little differently. Almost everyone talks about phase one as safety and symptom stabilization, where the focus is not on talking about the trauma, it's on developing a, a good relationship with the counselor, um, being able to get some of the symptoms under control, whether that's anxiety, if that's flashbacks, um, learning coping mechanisms, you know, breathing techniques, the things that just kind of help, help with the symptoms. That's phase one. Um, phase two is trauma processing. We're actually going back into the memories and working through, through them. But that should only be done after someone has has resources already. They already know how to relax, how to calm themselves down, how to pull themselves out of flashbacks or something. And then phase three is kind of learning. I call it consolidation and, and, and restoration. It's kind of learning how to live as a whole person, you know, that's, that's healthier and so on. So if there's a trauma counselor that starts to get into the trauma right away, you know, in the first couple of sessions, I kind of go, whoa, um, if they haven't done much to kind of help you learn methods of kind of coping, then that's too much too soon. You know, you're likely going to mm. become worse. Wow. Um, so, so you want someone uh, who talks about first we'll work on safety and kind of helping you manage your symptoms before we, you know, they may ask just broad questions about trauma you know, as part of an assessment, just to kind of find out what are we talking about here? What kind of trauma, but not kind of going into all the details and, 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 and so on um, too soon. So that would be one way I would, I would assess. If I went to someone and they started to delve into the trauma right away, I'd go, hey, wait a minute. Um, I don't think this is good. I, I need someone First of all, I mean, you have to have enough time to trust someone. You know, this is really serious stuff. It's really impacting your life. You, it's a human being in front of you. The counselor is a human being, and you have to be able to feel um, safe with that person. And depending on what the trauma background's been, that can take a long time. I mean, if someone's been abused for years and years as a kid, that could take a couple of years before you actually delve into the trauma. Because after all, it's a person who was supposed to keep you safe that hurt you. So why should you just trust a stranger? That's a normal reaction. If there's been a natural disaster, you still need to trust the person. I'd say at least you need a phase one of a couple of sessions before delving right into it. Uh, but that's probably not going to take as long, you know, and you'll get into the trauma probably, you know, sooner within a few sessions or, or you know, a month or two, just kind of depending on the person. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I'd, I just recommend is, um, you know, if you're going to buy a car, chances are you're going to test drive a few of them, right? You know, you'll do your research first, take a look at what model, 
model you like. Um, but then before you actually buy one, you know, it's a good idea to test it out. Maybe even take the mechanic, get it seen over. Well, people often don't do this, but what I'd recommend is make appointments to three counselors, mm. have one session with each of them, I ask them questions about how they work, what, what you can expect from them. Um, you, you know, how they approach trauma or if it's not trauma, you know, but whatever it is, find out how, how, how do you expect to work with me? This is kind of my presenting problem. And, um, and you can, and, and I would tell someone, I would tell counselors, I've made appointments with three different counselors because I, I've been encouraged to do that just to kind of see who I feel most comfortable with. And any counselor that's worth their salt would be quite happy with that. Um, if someone isn't, then it means they probably have some self-esteem or self-confidence issues, and they're probably not going to be a good counselor for you anyway. So if anyone feels threatened by that, that's a bad sign. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll go, wow, that is a great idea. I'd welcome you, you know, because um, I want you to feel really comfortable with me. And sometimes what will happen is someone really likes their first counselor and goes, you know what? I'm going to cancel the other appointments because I really am connecting with this person and that's okay. But other times like, you know, this feels really good, but let me just go and have the appointments for the other two. And then I'll make up my mind. So I'd really encourage that. Mm, okay. That's a great advice. And especially, you know, in the case of my friend that I, I was sharing in the beginning, um, he's been seeing like three therapists, And, you know, me and his family, we were actually gathering yesterday and some of us were saying, well, uh, maybe it's time for you to pick, you know, one above the other rather than you know, continue to see three of them at the same yeah. time. I uh, would continue that like two sessions maximum with, with different people. You should be able to judge after that. Then okay. there are, you know, too many cooks spoil the broth is an expression, at least in, in English, you, you know, you can get confused mm, okay. <laughs> if, if there are too many different approaches. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I'd only recommend that for like an initial session or two, not beyond that. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, Heather. So I have, hopefully we can tackle like a couple more questions. Uh, <laughs> as it, I, again, like, you know, I expect some people that are Christian uh, wanting to help other people And then um, maybe, I mean, we read the Gospels, right? Like, for example, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus interacts with a demoniac. And then he says, you know, uh, who are you? And then he says, we are legion because we are many, right? That are inside right. this person and Jesus cast out the demon. So I don't know. I feel like some people like take it almost like to, to, uh, to what is it? The word like, um, oh, I forgot the word but they take it almost like simplistic approach. I would say, okay, that's exactly what I need to do. I just need to cast out a demon. But it, from my vantage point, I feel like Luke was a psychologist of his era, right? Like he mm. understood something was going on that was that was more like a mental thing because even he makes references to Naaman who had to go in the water and almost like uh, get rid of like the... Well, he had to humble himself, right? So these people were trying to right. express things that now we have terms for them, right? We, we, we can say ego, we can say shattered self, we can say post-traumatic stress disorder. Like we have all these right. words that help us. Um, so anyways, the, the, the question is, how can we help 
people who want to help help right and for specifically this is where i want to go the relationship between maybe like psychology and psychics uh because i don't know it almost seems like from your vantage point it seems like if people are into like a specific sort of belief uh having help from that specific sort of belief is more helpful than than trying to pull them away from that that belief system but at the same time there's dangers right like there's there's the people that are into cults and things like that and you know they end up like committing like massive suicides and things like that i mean So what is the relationship between like psychology and psychics like from a from like a Christian worldview? Well, I mean my understanding of something like psychics is that they are generally using the the occult um mm -hmm. for their their information. And you know scripture tells us not to do that. It says that we go to God for for our information and help. Um that that you know psychics i think there are some charlatan psychics people who you know really um just know how to manipulate people know how to you know in a sense they're they're good psychologists they can pick up what people wow, um, yeah. you know want and need and and they use kind of tricks uh -huh. so there's there's that i i i think there are likely some psychics that do have some real powers the, the question is where does that power come from And, you know, as Christians, we want to uh, avoid any power that is not of God. And scripture is quite clear because I think that scripture says that that opens the door to Satan working in our lives. So, so even if someone felt as though they were helped by a psychic, the question might be, you know, what, what's the ultimate cost to that spiritually or even emotionally? My guess is that there might end up being a hidden cost in some way. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, psychics are not my area of specialization. I can talk a little bit more about the demonic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, because you, you brought that up a couple of times, and I'm glad we came back to it, because I think there are many types of mental illness, where, where your general layperson who wants to be helpful in a congregation, or even, you know, pastors, don't understand what they're seeing. And, and assume that it's demonic. So I, I actually wrote an article for, it's actually a Filipino journal, so it's not readily available here except for by me called, Not All Voices Are Demonic. And it was for exactly that reason, because you know, someone with dissociative identity disorder, which as I mentioned, used to be called multiple personality disorder, that is a very real trauma disorder. It, it, it results from, um, early childhood trauma before the age of, of six. But there is such a uh, fragmentation of self that you actually can hear different voices. And some of those voices are angry voices. They're protector parts or they're, they're suspicious of anyone. Um, and they, and, and some of them might even have names that sound demonic, like, like Legion. Mm. Um, there are some people that have been abused by Satanists. Um, that's awful, awful trauma, but you can end up with, with names that sound demonic that are not demons, are, are a part of self that is just trying to deal with the trauma of some really horrific rituals. Um, now, that's not to say that, that 
the demonic can't coexist with mental illness as well. I mean, I believe I have encountered demons face to face in some of my counseling sessions. But I think it's a matter of what do we what do we do with it? Even if we think we are encountering the demonic, deliverance prayer can be more traumatic if it actually isn't demonic than than actually having a demon there. I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from a pastor in Canada in a Baptist church that had a deliverance ministry. Now, I'd never heard of such a thing before. I don't know whether there are Baptist churches here in the U.S. that have deliverance ministries, but in Canada, this was a very unique um, uh, church. But they had a, a very, they had an approach where they, before anyone came for deliverance prayer, they had three appointments with them with a counselor there in the room to first of all, try to help us discern, is there mental illness here? Is there, can, can this person's symptoms be explained by the, through psychology, through, through mental health? And then even if they decided, you know, that the person was appropriate for deliverance prayer, had a counselor there. So they did it all like in a very methodological, I think a, a very good way. But one of the things he said was, you know, even if there are demons there, often they might have been there for years, maybe even decades. So it doesn't mean that we have to jump in and get rid of them right away. So I'll tell you what I've done more recently. I, I mean, that was news to me. It's kind of like, oh, if you, if you think something's demonic, don't you just try to cast it out? Um, but because I've seen so much damage done, what I've done is if I think that there's possibly some demonic I just pray even internally, like, especially if it's, you know, one of my clients mm -hmm. and, and I'll bind spirits as just internally say in Jesus name, I bind that spirit of whatever I mm -hmm. kind of sense it is, whether it's, you know, depression or murder or suicide or whatever, but I'm not going to necessarily say that to the person in front of me, because that could totally freak them out. Mm -hmm. But I believe that if we use Jesus name, what we're told, it's not just my belief. Scripture says if we use Jesus name, it, it is it is powerful. And so, so basically when I do those kinds of binding prayers, what I'm doing is going, you know, if there are actually demons here, um, you know, I'm not going to deal with you right away, but I'm going to, in Jesus name, prevent you from messing around with this person until we find out what's going on. Wow. And wow. then, and so then we go on with our counseling. And um, I think a very helpful concept for me has been, broadening the concept of spiritual warfare beyond that kind of deliverance prayer to kind of going as people make good choices in their lives, that's spiritual warfare. Mm. They read their Bibles. That's spiritual warfare. Wow. Good counseling is spiritual warfare because it is, it is helping people live out of truth rather than lies. So every time someone makes a decision against kind of lies or, a, a, you know, as they get healing from some depression, in a sense, it, it's spiritual warfare. Um, and so, I mean, that was really exciting for me as a counselor. You mean that just by doing good counseling, I'm doing spiritual warfare, yeah. but I've really found that to be true. And then that doesn't mean that there aren't times for, you know, kind of deliverance prayer, but those times are going to be a lot fewer if, if you kind of hold off and, and do other kinds of things first. And as, as, as people kind of get freed up more psychologically.
then often Satan just really doesn't have much ground anymore. Wow. So, so this is what I'd say. Assume it's not spiritual first. Mm. Okay. That, that doesn't mean that it might not be, but, oh, I mean, at some level, everything's spiritual. You know, Satan's really happy when, when we're struggling, right? Um, but, but assume, be there for the person, listen, support them, s- send them to a counselor. Find a counselor. Um, if if the person themselves wonders if something's demonic, then then bind it yourself in Jesus' name. Say, in Jesus' name, I bind the spirit of depression. Then let it go and go to your counselor and work on depression. Go on antidepressants. Um, and if at the end of that, you still think that there's something spiritual there, well, then deal with it. Mm. I don't know. It's kind of a pragmatic approach. Yes. No, that's super helpful. And I love that because I, I, well, even like what you said, you know, to ex- an extent, like everything is a spiritual. And I think that's, that's what I think even right now, like we are talking through a computer and microphones and stuff, but really our brains are talking to each other. Right. And I feel like, wow, that's almost like a spiritual realm, right? We are not here face to face physically. Right. And Yes. I mean, that's the beauty of the human mind and the connection and the interconnection that we have as humans, where I feel like, yeah, to some extent, I this is my personal belief, right? I, I feel like there is a a spiritual element to to psychological stuff, right? And maybe sometimes yes. you can't you can't tease them apart. I mean, yeah. we're whole beings, right? Mm-hmm. Our spiritual and our psychological mental yeah. even physical yeah i had a, know, they all affect i had a friend on the show a few episodes ago who he's getting his phd in psychology and he was saying uh i wanted to be a theologian but then i was i was finding that i was getting more from the psychological terms that explained to me what was going on even spiritually than i was even getting mm-hmm. from from theological terms and that's why he went into psychology so Uh, one final question before we go to the emojis would be what would be your word of advice to aspiring psychologists? What would, what would they have to keep in mind in today's world, today's day and age? Well, be, be alert for trauma. I I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the psychological disorders actually have trauma as uh, a root cause. And so So look for that, do assessments for trauma, Um, do assessments for dissociation, which is a kind of a backdoor into looking for trauma because sometimes people don't remember their trauma. So they may say, no, I haven't had these things happen and it might still come out later. Mm. So be alert for trauma and, and find programs in your training that integrate your psychology or counseling and spirituality and theology. There are great programs out there. I mean, I've, taught in them, you know, both at Denver Seminary, Toccoa Falls College, um, has some new programs even beginning in January that will do that. Lots of other good programs out there. So, and if you're in a secular program, read the integration literature. There is lots of stuff written now, really good stuff around um, integrating spirituality and counseling and psychology. So make sure you're aware of that. Mm, Love it. Okay. So here we go. Back to our emojis. 
just to summarize, this can be short phrases. What is the most blasphemous idea when it comes to mental health? Well, I, I don't know about a blasphemous idea. To me, perpetration of abuse is, is really blasphemy against God, mm. especially child abuse, child pornography. Mm. All of that is so dishonoring to God and so harmful. So does that count? Does that? Oh, that counts. That's horrible. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to move to, um, what's the next one? A skeptical. What are you skeptical of when it comes to mental health? Well, I'm not sure if it's that I'm, that I'm skeptical. Um, I think a lot of people I see are skeptical. They're not sure they can be healed. And so they're, they're skeptical of the whole process. Or a lot of Christians are skeptical of secular approaches. Mm, okay, makes sense. Inspired gets better. So where do you see inspiration? What inspires you when it comes to mental health? Seeing people get healthier, seeing God heal people. Um, and and that's, not, that's not generally instantaneous when it comes to mental health. Um, it often comes through a lot of hard work, but to see to see God working in that process and see people become healthy and whole, that's inspiring. Love it. And holy emoji. Um, what is a holy idea in mental awareness, mental health? Well, I think walking alongside other people mm. and inviting inviting the Holy Spirit into that process is holy. I think when we are, are, are helping other people or just being with them as they're struggling, that's holy ground. Love it. And finally, the divine emoji. What is the most divine idea when it comes to mental health? Well, it, again, it's, it's the Holy Spirit as the great physician. It's God. It's God being there, God bringing healing. I mean, we don't have any mental health without God. Even if even if people aren't Christians, they may not know that. But we're told that all good things come from the Lord, and that includes mental health. Love it. Okay, so my friends, do you agree or disagree to our emojis today? Visit ChristianPodcast.com. Choose your own emoji reaction. You don't have to agree with us. You can choose your own emoji so heather dave duke gingrick i think i said it right again hopefully yes, you did. good for you <laughs> okay thank you so much for being on the show where do you want to point people to if they want to find more about who you are your work uh well um my website is kind of out of date but uh my books are there restoring the shattered self Even though it's written for counselors, a lot of survivors of trauma have read it. Um, academics that might be out there or people training. Um, my husband and I have edited another book, Treating Trauma in Christian Counseling, that has different chapters on all kinds of different traumas. So if you're curious about how healing looks different, um, depending on what the trauma is, then that's a really good resource as well. And if you have a bachelor's degree and are interested, Come sign up for the trauma certificate that starts in January at Tacoa Falls College. Love it. Thank you so much, Heather, for being on the show. And my friends, 
we'll see you guys on the next one make sure if you're watching to like and subscribe follow these episodes share them with a friend i'll see you guys on the next one <laughs>